Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Chastain, host of the Teach Me Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 113 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we're going to jump into Google Classroom and try to share some tips and best practices to help us all get through this remote learning period that we find ourselves in. We've got a couple of news and updates some feedback and some answers from our listeners, as well as a couple of things that are on the blogs. So Matt, you ready to do this? I am ready. Let's do it. All right, let's get started with a couple of Google news and updates. We're going to keep this part pretty quick because we've got lots of stuff to share with you in the rest of the episode. So I wanted to share with you something real quick about podcasts. Have you heard of podcasts before? Do you ever listen to podcasts? <laughs> You're listening to what a podcast is a right podcast? now. I know. That's right. It's it's like sorcery, you know? If you're listening to this, then there's probably a good chance that you're listening to it on a mobile device because most people do listen to podcasts on mobile devices. That would mean that you're listening to it on some form of a podcast app. If you haven't ever checked out Google Podcasts, you know, Google actually has its own podcast app. It's been available on Android devices in the past and now is available on iOS. There's a couple of things that that really sort of stand out with this. If you're looking for a new podcast app, or if you're, you know, just wanting to try something different and you have an iPhone or an iPad, then this might be a good option for you. One of the things that it does is, um, you know, it's been redesigned to make it easier to discover podcasts that you love, uh, to build your list of go-to podcasts and to customize your listening. And it's got these three tabs. It's got home, explore and activity. Home gives you kind of like a feed of new episodes that you can see. Explore has this like for you place that shows, you know, new shows and new episodes that you might want to check out. Um, so, and then the activity tab will display your listen history, all of the queued up episodes and your downloads and all of that. So it keeps it pretty simple. I was just telling Casey that 
I've tried the Google Podcasts app and haven't really stuck with it. But the more I'm looking at this, I'm thinking that I might need to give it another shot. So um, it's available for iOS today. Um, rolling The changes are rolling out to Android soon. And when I say today, that was March 25th, which was a week ago. And by the time you listen to this, it's going to be, I bet it's probably out. So just ignore that today part. So Google Podcast <laughs> app, if you haven't checked it out. Yeah, exactly. It's out. Go check it out. I just got it. So you may have heard the little ding. I was installing it on on my iPhone. So I'm excited because I've heard so many great things about it. So Android uh, lovers, Android users have loved it. (laughs) Maybe Android lovers too. But uh, I'm excited because yeah, there's certain things I like. I have probably three or four different podcatchers on my phone because I don't stick with one for too long. I, I have things that I like and don't like. So I'm ready to try it. The other thing that we wanted to share with you today, there were not a whole lot of updates. Google's kind of busy right now, I think. So there are higher priorities going on. But one thing that's pretty interesting that they have released is called pointers. You can create pointers to any file or folder in Google Drive with what they're calling shortcuts. And For me, the way I'm reading this, this is something that we have had the beta version for a little bit, but shortcuts are pointers to content that can be stored in another folder or drive or shared drive or an individual's my drive, but we can point to it. We're basically, it's it's like a, a web shortcut, like a bookmark that you add to drive. And the add to drive icon that you see when you open someone else's file. So for instance, if Matt had just shared something with me, it's a Google Doc and I'm looking at it near the top right, you see the drive icon with a little plus sign. They're actually changing that icon if I'm understanding this correctly, because instead of saying add to my drive, it's adding a shortcut, which in reality, that's what it was doing all along. I think they're just changing the verbiage of it so that it's more clear. And now I can see it as if it's a file in my own drive and organize it and put it in folders and things like that. So that's super helpful when you are looking at something, especially something that you don't want to make a copy of because it might be changing. And so you can just add that to your drive. So uh, shortcuts, pointers, if you will, are coming if you don't already have that ability. And it can make things easier right now, too, as Matt and I are both sharing lots of things through Google Drive that maybe you just want to point to or create that shortcut in your shared drive or in your own personal Google Drive. I'm totally with you on that. That's really what it is. That's what, you know, it's it's just kind of more clear verbiage when it when it comes to that. So and then one other quick thing, this is something that we've touched on before. Uh, Google still does have this great teach from home site. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's this, um, they're calling it a temporary hub of information and tools to help teachers during the coronavirus COVID-19 crisis. And so as you continue to go down through that, You know, it gives tips and ideas for teaching remotely with video calls or without video calls, how to make lessons accessible, how to keep students engaged, how to keep in touch with other teachers, so on and so forth. It's got learning resources that you can access. And if you haven't seen that yet, going to teachfromhome.google will get you there. Another way to get you there, of course, is through our show notes, which you can find at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 113. Oh, 
Okay, y'all, let's jump into some Google Classroom tips for remote learning. And a lot of these tips you will find probably helpful during the normal. What is normal? We don't know what normal is anymore, but let's refer back to the normal school day. The other thing I wanted to say really quickly about Google Classroom, in case you have arrived here, you're brand new to, say, Google, but specifically Google Classroom. Google Classroom is an application that is part of G Suite for Education. And it is a tool for managing and distributing assignments, communicating with students, going paperless, and doing lots of other things as well, as you will learn in today's episode. But if you are listening, and I know we have a lot of leaders and tech coaches who listen, um, this message is really important that teachers understand Google Classroom doesn't mean just using Google tools in your classroom. Because there are so many new users right now, that is becoming very evident to me that not everyone understands that. So I am adding a couple of free resources in here to help with that. One is what is G Suite for education? That's a Google Doc um, that just kind of explains that because a lot of people just don't understand what that is or why it's different from having a personal Google account, as well as my Google Classroom cheat sheets that I just finished a few days ago. Um, one is for teachers, one is for students. There's a total of 54 pages, so y'all forgive me. Um, I worked really hard to get those ready for you. I hope they help. And you know what? I, I think Matt has a special guest for us today that, that's going to share some tips. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were talking about um, doing Google Classroom for remote learning, and we thought that we would share some of those, you know, sort of nuts and bolts and, and things that, that could actually, you know, help um, some of those things that you can start using right away. And I thought, well, my goodness, I have somebody living in my house that is doing remote learning with students right now through Google Classroom. And that is my wife, uh, Melanie Miller, who teaches uh, high school social studies uh, here in Indiana. Hi, Mel. Good morning. How are you? Good. We're good. So um, we were just talking a little bit about um, some of the things that she does. And... Um, she, she was telling me some of the stuff that, that she does. And she was like, but this is all sort of basic stuff. I don't know if you want to like share this on the podcast. And I was saying, hey, this is the stuff that I think people are really interested in. Like, what are some of those little basic things that that really, really make sense? And so, um, Mel, you've got a handful of things that you've been doing over the last couple of weeks that have been working, right? Yeah, there are several things that I do that um, actually for me, I do them pretty regularly in the classroom, but because of our unique situation, I've had to add a few extra things. So the first thing that I do each morning that we have an e-learning day is I give the kids a little video message. Now for me, I use Flipgrid. It's really easy. I go to uh, Flipgrid and I go to shorts. I make a really short video, just says, hi, how you doing? And I give them the instructions for the day so they can actually hear my voice. And if they have questions about it, then they can email me back and say, hey, I didn't understand what you meant by that. But it's sometimes it's a little bit easier when you hear your teacher's voice saying exactly what it is that uh, they're supposed to do for the day, as opposed to seeing it just typed out on a Google Doc or something like that. And comforting. That's comforting. They need to hear your voice. And I'm sure your your students are very grateful that you're doing that right now. Well, they're either grateful or they're amused because I add some extra stuff to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lots of filters because I don't always look so nice 
in the morning. I don't, if I don't have to get dressed and put on makeup, then it doesn't always happen. So you you've got you've got a couple of other things, just like little little things that help keep keep everything organized and sorted and and everything, right? Yeah, for me, what's interesting is as you go through your stream, and this is so simple, but a lot of people don't realize this. I will put for the week what I'm doing for the week in in one document, and then I will on the side hit move to the top. So it's just kind of a constant reminder of, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so I will do that with um my, with my stream. And I'll also do that when I go to classroom or the classwork, I should say, page, I can move certain topics up a little higher or lower. So for instance, I might say week one topic and that's kind of, it's odd, but that's how I've divided it up into different weeks and I'll label it week one, week two, week three of e-learning. And that's what we started off with. And we're now to, I think, six weeks of e-learning according to the state of Indiana that we're going to have to do to, to do that. But um and what also helps, a lot of people don't realize this, is you can put things into topics. So each of my classwork uh, assignments, I guess you might say, or materials, I put them in a topic. So week one uh, for, uh, you know, the week of, Mar- for us, it was March 15th, um, kind of that week where we started. Uh, week two is in a different topic. So they can kind of go to each different section and say, oh man, I didn't get week one. I need to finish week one, week two. And so everything's in order and it's very easy for them to read. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the, the moving things to the top of the stream. That was, that one's really good. And that's kind of a hidden one, I think too. And, um, that's the one where if you click the little three dots, you can, you can move it to the top of the stream. Yeah. Um, and then the one other thing real quick that I, I wanted to ask you about that I thought was really cool is, um, you use the email guardians feature within classroom, which is under the people tab. And, um, do you want to tell everybody just real quick how you've been using that? Uh, yes. So in the people tab, I can go in and there are two things that I really do in this. And I want to add this in very quickly. As far as teachers, if there's another teacher that you are teamed with, you can add that other teacher at the top so they can see what you're doing in your classroom. Maybe you're tag teaming on something, but I use it a lot with my special service teachers. So my special service teachers are invited to join my classroom. So if they want to contact or get in touch with uh, those students, they can. And then I can email all my guardians. Any guardians, I can invite those guardians. Uh, they're kind of in our school system anyway that I can say, okay, um, guardian of student A, if you would like to join and follow in, I can go ahead and I can email them everything that's going on just with just a click of the button. That's awesome. Very good. Those are those are some really good tips. And um there you go. That's my my uh, beautiful spouse, Melanie Miller, giving you some some ideas from from her own class. Thanks, Mel, for helping us with that. Thanks a lot for having me. So glad that Melanie was able to pop on. She is real, y'all. We hear about her all the time, but it's so good to hear her voice. One thing I wanted to add about the guardian emails. So this is coming up a lot right now, too. A lot of teachers don't know where this is or how to turn it on. Of course, Matt mentioned the people tab, but it has to be enabled by your G Suite domain administrator. They have to turn that on and they also have to give teachers permission. So there's a few things behind the scenes that if you're not seeing that option, it could be controlled by your school. And inviting guardians is is a process. And of course, I always like to tell people support.google.com is your best friend. 
Um, you can go there and there is a specific section for classroom that will walk you through the steps. In fact, they have pages for the teacher for guardian emails. They have pages for parents for guardian emails that will show them what it's supposed to look like. And I realize one of the things that I think confuses people about Google Classroom so much is the fact we can't see other viewpoints. As a teacher, you only see the way a, a teacher sees it. And we don't get like that student view unless we're standing next to a student or we have our own kid at home or a demo account. So um, the support page is very, very useful. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, those cheat sheets have screenshots of a lot of things that everybody's using in classroom. I didn't quite make it a full manual because it would never been finished, but those are there to help you as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a handful of other things that we can, I mean, we could go on and on here about different uh, Google classroom tips we could use for remote learning. Um, you know, one of them that I think is is a useful thing is that we've got lots of people using Google Meet right now and doing the uh, video calls with students. And of course, that's really easy to do in conjunction with Google Classroom. Now, just because you don't see Google Meet within Google Classroom doesn't mean that it can't be used together. Of course, with Google Classroom, you can put an announcement into your class or an assignment into your class. Um, the big difference, of course, being that the announcements don't have great tied to them and the assignments do have grades tied to them. But if you go and create a Google Meet, create a video call, and then grab the link to it and stick it into an announcement or into an assignment, I'd imagine you probably would do it with an announcement. Um, that's an easy way to put that... Um, to put that video call into a safe place where only your students can access it, where they can find it really easily. So um, that's that's just a, a little quick thing where if you want to be able to do a group video call with a bunch of your students, um, that would work. And then if you want to do a video call with just a small subset of your students, of course, what you can do is create that Google Meet link and copy it. And then whenever you create the assignment or the announcement, if you go up to where it says all students, you can just check or uncheck the ones that you want to be able to get it. So if you want to be able to give that that video call just to specific students, if you want to do it in small groups or, or whatever, that's a really easy way to do it. And that's a good point. That's actually something I wanted to hit on was differentiating assignments in Google Classroom because I woke up to a text message this morning from one of my friends who was having trouble using the email feature in Google Classroom. But when it came down to it, she said, I'm trying to email modifications to the students who have IEPs. And I was like, wait a second. I said, did you know that you don't have to give every assignment to all students? And so I was walking her through those exact steps. So when you click on the class work tab and you go to create and you create an assignment, next to where it says all students is a drop down arrow. Click that drop down and you can unselect all students and just select the one student or the group of students that you want to give that assignment to. So, yes, we are still, you know, trying to meet the needs of all the learners at this time and this unprecedented time to make sure that we do that. So that is a quick tip there. Um, I do have step by step directions in how to differentiate assignments in Google Classroom and our show notes, which everything that we've mentioned so far will be there at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 113. The other things that I wanted to mention is there are 
some basic skills that a lot of teachers are suddenly finding themselves needing, like that differentiate piece. And there are also some things that teachers don't completely understand, that the stream is really the announcement and communication hub, that the classwork page is where you can add not only assignments, but classroom materials. And so a lot of teachers are not even noticing that right now. And they're creating the, creating an assignment just to add some kind of informational page. Well, when you do that, then it pops up. Do you want it to be graded? And you got to choose ungraded. You can add materials. So whether that's like a guide. Um, right now, a lot of teachers are creating like little how-to tutorials and reference guides, or if you're adding the cheat sheets and things in there, you can do that just by adding a material so that it's not an assignment, it's not in your grade book, and it's viewable. It's not make a copy for each student. It's not getting students to edit it, those kinds of things that a lot of teachers are sort of struggling with right now. So I feel like now's the time to make sure we're getting back to basics and those must have skills. So being able to add materials, understanding how assignments work, knowing that that make a copy there is there for you when you do create an assignment, but to also understand you don't get a do-over with that one. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of teachers learn that the hard way the first time, but when you're distributing an assignment, particularly when it has a Google file type attached to it, we have that that, that magic make a copy button. And when you do that, and you catch a mistake or you want to add something, it's not going to add it to every student's copy. The only way to come back is to delete that assignment and do it all over again. I, I know everybody's like begging Google. It's like, But when you think about how that works, there is there is some logic to understanding to how these files are created and shared. The other thing I want to mention is make sure that you... Understand when you do assign something like that to a student, they have editing rights. But as soon as they click turn in, they lose the editing rights and you take over. So there's a transfer that happens during that piece. And I really love that Melanie was sharing how she organized her assignments because there's a million ways that we do this on a daily basis. But right now, I am hearing from a lot of teachers that creating that either topic called, you know, due this week, or, you know, if you want to put the the actual due date, I'm seeing that too, you know, that it's due Friday, April, whatever we, are we like at the second or third? I forget where we are. <laughs> and yeah. making that the topic. And like Matt said, move that to the top and being able to have that. But I am finding particularly right now, and I think Matt, you mentioned your kids are doing this, that they're, they're not doing, they're not required to do something every single day. So it becomes more of, here's the things you got to do this week. And that's become mm-hmm. very common. So having that as a topic, I think makes a lot of sense right now. Yep. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally agree with that. And organization, keeping keeping things organized and having a, a, a good method and system for that really helps. And just because you haven't figured out exactly what that looks like for you doesn't mean that you can't change it as you go. So, you know, don't feel like you're going to break it by setting it up a, a certain way. You can always kind of move that stuff around. Um, I wanted you to share change one, your mind, y'all. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Totally agree with that. Um, I want to share one more quick thing when it comes to Google Classroom, and this has to do with um, videos. If you want to share videos with your students, like instructional videos or little check-in videos like Melanie did, um, sometimes we look at Google Classroom and we think, 
well, I don't know what I can use with Google Classroom because I don't see buttons for it. I don't see icons for it inside of Google Classroom. And I'm going to quote my illustrious co-host, Casey Bell, here and say that Google Classroom plays well with others because it does. And so the great thing about Classroom is that you can include links from a wide variety of other tools and apps and websites out there um, that you can direct your students to. So here's what I mean by that. If you want to record a video to share with students, there are a couple of tools that I think can do that really well. And they're not natively inside of Google Classroom, but you can put them into Google Classroom. One of them is Screencastify. So if you go to screencastify.com, um, this is a screen recorder that runs in your Google Chrome web browser. It's one of my favorite tools for grabbing video because you can record your screen, you can record with your webcam, or you can do a combination of both. And then whenever you're done, that video can be automatically uploaded into your Google Drive. Now, what you can do once you're done recording that video is you can add it to an assignment or an announcement by just adding that video out of your Google Drive whenever you're done. So that's a pretty easy workflow right there. You record a video with Screencastify, it's automatically saved into your Google Drive, and then you just add it to an assignment or an announcement um, from your drive. There's another way, and this is actually the one that Melanie was just talking about. You can go to Flipgrid, flipgrid.com. And once you get logged into your teacher account there, uh, there's a tab up at the top called Shorts. Which you might, if you don't know what Schwartz is, you may not know what it is, but when, when you see it, but if you click on it, it's basically just a video recorder for you, the teacher, to record videos. And so once you're done with that, you can either grab the little link to that video or you can hit the save to Google Classroom button and, um, you can use that to add that into your assignments or announcements within um, within Google Classroom. So again, those are two tools that will help you create videos that aren't necessarily inside of Google Classroom, but they work very nicely with Google Classroom. And one more quick thing to add to this, especially when it comes to Screencastify, um, there are some different steps that you can take to make those video files a little bit smaller which makes them more accessible for students who have slower internet. And if you go to our show notes, googleteacherpodcast.com slash 113, I have a link to a blog post that talks about how to kind of like optimize videos for students with slow internet. And it includes a couple of infographics that walk you through how to do this with Screencastify. But also if you have a Windows device, um, there are a couple of built-in tools there that'll help you do that as well. Those are some great tips and some things that I just learned too. So thanks for that, Matt. And Screencastify has been so handy during this time. And if you didn't catch the fact that the premium version is available for all schools that are closed right now, you can actually access all the features and make use of that. Just real quick, we had so much that we added to the outline today, so many things in the notes that we're not going to have time to get to, but I wanted you to know that they are there. So there are links to blog posts. I threw in one of my infographics with some Google Classroom tips, lots of resources here that will take you further than just what we've been able to share in today's podcast. But we hope that these will all help you get through this remote learning period while using Google Classroom and share the love, share this episode with other teachers who are struggling right now and need some help with Google Classroom. So all of that is available in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 113. There's a letter in your mailbox. 
Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. It is time for the mailbag. And our first message comes from Vicki Heipel from Montana. Uh, and she has a question about using Google Classroom with Forms. So take it away, Vicki. Hi, Matt and Casey. It's Vicki Heipel in Montana calling with a Google question. I was thinking that with uh, all the people starting to teach from home, there's probably going to be more need um, for forms for formative assessment. And I think there's some tips and tricks for assigning them through Google Classroom that I sometimes get confused about. For instance, when do you assign a form just for one class individually? And when do you assign a form across all of your sections of that same class for it to be effective. I know there's some tricks with that and getting the form to actually grade for you within Classroom. And I was wondering if you would share those tricks with us. Ah, yes. There are lots of directions that we can go with this. So I want to give you one quick little tip, and then I want to turn this over to all of you that are listening and see if you have your own tips and tricks for assigning forms and assessments and all of that through Google Classroom. And so here's one specifically to your question about when do you assign a form for one class versus when do you assign a form for all classes? So I would assign one specific form to all of the classes if the questions were going to be the same. So for me, when I was teaching high school Spanish, I would have two sections of Spanish one, two sections of Spanish two, a section of Spanish three, and then an AP Spanish. And so for the Spanish one class, I might do the same form for everybody. But what I would do is I would include a little radio button or a drop down that lets them specify which class period they're in. And so when I do that, I'm able to see in the spreadsheet once it's done or in the form once, um, you know, once everything's done, I'm able to see specifically which class each person is involved in. And so um, by doing that, that means that I don't have to like, you know, duplicate the form or do anything like that. It pulls everything all into one place. So that was that was one of the things that, that I would do. Um, and then. Of course, if you've got different questions to ask for different classes, then, you know, of course, that would be a good time to do different forms for everybody. Now, another thing to think of, too, is if you've done a an assessment within Google Forms in a previous year and you want to reuse that, what you can always do is you can go into the form and you can disconnect the spreadsheet that it's attached to. You'll want to delete all of your responses out of the form first and then disconnect the spreadsheet and attach it to a new spreadsheet. And then you'll have just that spreadsheet full of um, responses from your new students. So those are a couple of thoughts when it comes to that. I'm curious to hear, you know, any of you that are listening, if you have any other tips and tricks and ideas for doing assessments with Google Forms and assigning them out through Google Classroom, love to hear your, your tips on that too. Yeah, thanks for your voice message, Vicki. So last week's episode, episode 112, we were talking about using Google Hangouts Meet for remote learning. And we had a mailbag question from Bailey Sandsmark. And she was asking about tracking those frequent flyers in lunch detention. Basically, an easier way to conditionally format and ha highlight any kid who's had lunch detention three or more times. So we put that out to you. And Mr. Wisely left us a blog comment. And here is the answer, Bailey. 
oh my goodness, I have an answer for the need. Select the column with the student IDs better than names that might have varied spellings or, or by the teacher. Select format, go to conditional formatting and do a custom formula using count if. And you can you can see his exact formula in the show notes. It's not going to make sense if I read it all right now. But basically, you're going to replace the column letter of your sheet and then choose to format that cell color. So you're using count if. That's the secret sauce right there to find that to count if that name appears. Actually, not the name, the ID. And I do agree with that. That is smart because we know names can sometimes get duplicated and spelled differently. So that alleviates that that problem. So any kid listed more than twice would then be h- highlighted in that color. So um, Bailey, he's put that formula in the show notes or in the, the blog comments, but we have it in the show notes for you so you can see exactly where that is. And of course, if anyone else is curious and want to, you know, up your game with some Google Sheets. So thank you, Mr. Wisely, for sharing that. Whew, that was that was a lot, man. <laughs> I'm a little exhausted after today's episode, trying to right. fit it all in, trying to help as many people as we can. I think we're we're all, you know, feeling the stress of this, and we hope these tips will help you today. Um, we, of course, are both working as hard and as fast as we can to create and share more things on our blogs and our other podcasts as well. I had an episode released this week um, called Home Learning with Choice Boards During School Closure, and it's an interview with Laura Steinbrink. And so if you don't know Laura, you should know Laura. She is a friend of the podcast and very active on social media, and she shared all of her choice boards with me and how she's using these for both online and offline options to make sure that they've got some equity in their school and it's really great. And, and I feel like choice boards are really helping teachers find ways to do this and to put all of your weekly activities into one kind of simplistic place. In some cases, we have to print these out. And that's what Laura is having to do. They're actually hand delivering these to students. So, you know, if you find yourself sort of straddling all of these different scenarios, you definitely want to check out that episode and get those tips from Laura. Of course, I mentioned the Google Classroom cheat sheets earlier. There are (laughs) some quick tips, screenshots just to help you get through. And of course, I will continue to add and have new posts that will come out between now and the time this podcast airs, and those will be available under the Remote Learning Resources page on ShakeUp Learning. Yeah, those are those are great resources. And anytime you get something from Laura, it's always good stuff. So I know you're definitely going to enjoy enjoy checking that out. Um, I've got a handful of other links. It feels like with uh, Casey and I, we've got just like this huge long list of resources that you might want to check out. So um, I've got and I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I've got a post uh, that are 10 video tips for students with slow Internet. I'll give you a little spoil alert. Um, the first half of them are about optimizing your videos for those students with slow internet. And the second half is alternatives to using video because, of course, video is pretty, um, you know, demands a lot of uh, data and internet bandwidth and everything. And so there are some ways that we can get those ideas across without the video. Um, I also posted recently 10 no internet remote learning activities. So if 
again, if internet is not something that students all have access to and you want to provide them some other things that they could do, I've got a bunch of those as well. And just like Casey, I've got a page on the Ditch That Textbook website with e-learning resources. Um, there's also onlinelearningideas.com. This is a project that I'm working on with some folks that has new ideas for doing online learning every single day related to a variety of topics, um, building relationships, assessment, creating video, stuff like that. So um, you can find links to all of those resources at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 113. All right. Just like Casey was saying, that was a lot. There was a lot of stuff there, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully uh, you don't feel overwhelmed by it and you've just grabbed a couple of things that can help you make sense of using Google Classroom for remote learning. We're interested in hearing your tips as well. So if you have some ideas or some things that are really working for you related to using Google Classroom during remote learning, please, please, please do send us a message on Twitter and use the GTPod hashtag or head on over to googleteacherpodcast.com, record us a voice message. You know, we love to hear your voice. So, And we hope that all of these are going to help you this week. We hope that you're all safe and healthy. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that G Suite power and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.